Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Welcome back to Renewables. Thank you to all of our listeners and followers, uh, viewers who have been tuning in to our episodes. Make sure and click that follow button on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. We really appreciate all the support. Uh, The podcast has been growing slowly but steadily, and, um, and we are really, really excited about this episode because we have a a repeat podcast guest. We love bringing people back on the show and checking in. Uh, Andrew Barth, he's a partner at CSD Energy Advisors, friend uh, and work colleague. We we kick some deals back and forth and CSD helps advise us um, on all sorts of, of different things related to transactions that we're working on. So Andrew Barth, um, thank you so much for coming back on the show. It's great to see you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be back and had such a great time the first go around that thought, why not do it again? Awesome. Well, I'm really excited about when Andrew and I kind of caught up a couple of weeks ago uh, and we talked about doing a podcast. I did not expect um, to kind of take the turn that we did as far as what you're working on. So there's a lot of exciting stuff. We're going to talk about crypto bros. Uh, We're going to talk about the energy markets. We're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. But first, for our listeners and viewers who might not have caught your first episode, you should definitely go back and listen. Uh, But but give everybody a little background. What does on yourself first, how you got to uh, ended up founding and, and partnering to start CSD Energy Advisors and then tell us what you guys do. Yeah, sure. Thanks. And um, I have a fairly extensive background in the energy procurement business. I've been in this space since uh, I was a proud graduate of the University of Missouri in 2004, Um, moved back to Houston and started uh, working in the energy procurement sector, which in that sense is largely forward-facing to the retail customer side. Um, Texas had deregulated back in 2002, and it was really a fairly new business. And for all intents and purposes, it really still is today. Um, If you think about a, a business sector that's really sort of 20 years old. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's still changing and, and there's, uh, there, there's all sorts of, of things that we're still learning every single day. And of course, we've had a number of other states deregulate along the way. So it's opened up a lot of opportunities for us to continue to grow our business. But we are, uh, we're based here in Houston, Texas, uh, myself, three other partners and our team here. Um, we have a number of different entities that we operate all within the power sector. CSD being our forward-facing entity um, that is the power procurement business. Uh, that's sort of our, our day-to-day business, or at least, you know, probably when we spoke two years ago, certainly consumed most of our time. Then I'll, I'll jump into in a little bit sort of what we've been doing since then. Um, we also have a, a an entity called Lynx Energy Partners. Lynx is a QSE in ERCOT, so a qualified scheduling entity. Um, we operate a demand response business, so load curtailment. Um, we have links asset management. Uh, I believe since we last spoke, we actually have power generation now out in West Texas. So we're doing some uh, energy arbitrage in that space. And then we also have Roots, uh, Roots Clean Energy, which is our renewable desk where we 
buy, sell, trade, recs, consult on solar projects, battery projects, really anything in the renewable space. But I think, you know, for us is we really look to take on any projects that are very um, power centric. Awesome. Well, thank you for that overview. And you, I, I'm always super impressed whenever we catch up or uh, we actually engage with Roots quite a bit. We're developing renewable energy projects and uh, we go out and price recs and things like that, replacement recs for our customers. Um, so we love working with that team, but just always really impressed. You, you seem to always be on the leading edge uh, and you're always kind of finding new stuff uh, and new trends in the business and, and really good at opportunity, you know, finding opportunities to, to go and bring value and make money. So um, <laughs> I, I love catching up with you guys. Tell us, you know, what's new in the business? What, what's most exciting right now? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's funny since we spoke last, which was, you know, sort of, I guess, August 2020. So really peak COVID still at that time. Yeah, right, right in the uh, thick of it. Yeah. And, and energy markets had really tumbled. Um, you know, we were seeing record. Well, we saw negative oil. Um, we saw record low gas prices. And alongside of that was incredibly low electricity prices. Um, and so, you know, alongside of that, of course, was eroding demand in a lot of different areas as well. Um, you know, specifically in some of your larger uh, metropolitan cities where you saw office and hospitality depleted considerably. Um, a lot of the quote unquote ERCOT market, you know, did not have as much demand destruction as some of the others. I think a lot of that is due to the industrial space and the refining space and the oil and gas industry that was still required to continue to operate. And, um, you know, those are the folks that were, uh, that, that, you know, never got to work from home. They were there every single day during COVID. Um, and so, uh, you know, the market now today where we are, you know, if you think I, I don't know the exact stats on where natural gas was on, you know, back in August of 2020, but when you look at it, you know, today you've got $9 and 30 cent per MMBTU natural gas, which is, um, if not at a 15 year high, certainly approaching that, that number. Wow. And so when you look at the impact that natural gas still has on the price of electricity, it's considerable. And, and so we've really seen sort of a market shift in um, not just natural gas pricing, but electricity pricing as well, which is in turn sort of moved consumer behavior as well. Um, and certainly happy to jump into that. That might be a, another topic for another podcast. But, uh, you know, the, the things we're working on have really been driven by the market. And so we try to uh, play center field for our customers on all power related needs. So, you know, where we've seen the biggest uptick in demand and specifically new load is in the cryptocurrency space and specifically uh, specifically Bitcoin. Certainly there's other cryptocurrencies that are um, that that have a high energy demand, but nothing like what we've seen in the crypto space really over the past sort of, I'd say, you know, three, four years of of growth is uh, has been pretty incredible. Um Specifically, when uh, the Chinese government said that they were no longer going to allow the mining of cryptocurrencies, that really shifted the market to the U.S. and specifically to uh, to your your less regulated states, which tend to have lower rates. And on top of that, Texas specifically. 
Yeah, it's super interesting. And just to go back to kind of your previous statement, I mean, the amount of folks that we've had call us, um, whether they be other brokers like you, you, some folks on your team or customers we've worked with directly and say, hey, remember you priced a PPA for us and it just didn't quite make sense. Well, our electricity went up 50% last month. You know, it's like, can we look at that again? And all of a sudden now these projects, you know, a lot of kind of borderline projects are starting to look attractive. So it's super interesting. And, but that's sort of what I alluded to earlier. I was not expecting you to say um, how busy you've been in the crypto space. So you, you kind of touched on how that started. Talk a little bit about, I guess, what, what you all do for these customers and kind of where you think this is going. Yeah, sure. And there's a number of different facets and, and this is, is, you know, I'll keep it pretty uh, or fairly high level here in terms of the different aspects of the cryptocurrency business, specifically from the power side. And of course, when you look at um, mining a cryptocurrency, the most important component to that is, is generally power or 95% of the time is going to be power. Um, low power prices mean a cheaper return on your investment. Um, you know, the the lower the power price, basically the the more margin you're able to capture after mining that cryptocurrency. And so for us, we initially got involved. We had some folks that had called us and said, you know, hey, we're looking at um, putting in a, a Bitcoin mining farm a facility um, and we need some assistance on modeling some tariffs in different areas. And so we looked at a number of different sites for them um, and were able to ultimately help them pick a, a spot that was in a deregulated market. I will say not, not in Texas. Um, and it was an area that had available power. And so I guess when you think about the price of power, really what you need to consider first is power availability. And so um, by that, what I mean is, you know, each substation has a, an amount of power that is available at that specific site. Some of them can be upgraded. However, that can take anywhere from 12 to 18 months. So uh, the entities that are able to available power really have sort of a, uh, I guess, a first mover mentality. Um, that was certainly more important, I would say, when crypto was, you know, or when Bitcoin was between forty-five and sixty thousand um, dollars, but even at, at you know where it is today at twenty-three, the availability of the power is still one of the most important things. I will say what we previously saw was people were willing to pay a little bit more if they had power available sooner. That has waned a little bit in the sense that you know they're saying I'm willing to wait a little bit longer for the cheaper power, um, just because the the price of mining is not as attractive or, or the the price of Bitcoin is not as attractive for the miner as it as it was, you know, a year ago or or even less. So this is probably a whole other episode. Um, and I'm gonna throw a little bit of a curveball at you. You're a guy who understands markets at a at a high level very well. Is is the price of Bitcoin gonna make a prediction? Is the price of Bitcoin <laughs> gonna go back to forty five thousand? I <laughs> I don't speculate on the price of Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> I, and, and the reason being is that you know we're in so many different facets of it for us, and is that 
you know, where we found the biggest return is not speculating or or trading the currency, but also really has been more so in in mining and creating the, the Bitcoin. And so that's really been our focus more so is, you know, when you look at the at the market right now, and certainly prices are low, but, you know, there was a number of individuals that got um, they got put in a pretty bad spot when they were out there buying it $50,000 a BTC. And so, you know, I think when you're looking at it now, when you look at the overall price to generate a Bitcoin is considerably lower than it is to speculate on, you know, acquiring a uh, a cryptocurrency. And so good answer. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's been very interesting to see um, kind of the the whiplash in the market. This is really a separate conversation, but you know, a lot of these big crypto companies, they went out and kind of levered up and all their assets were in Bitcoin and now they're levering down. So it's been sure. very interesting to watch. Um, and and partially, I, will, I will not pretend to be an expert uh, or really even know enough to be dangerous on Bitcoin. But um, I think it's really more like a Dogecoin guy anyway, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Whatever, whatever Elon is tweeting. <laughs> Um, so I think it's super interesting though, kind of availability, trumping price. You're seeing that change a little bit. Are you also mm-hmm. seeing, cause we're, we're just starting to see it every, every corner we turn around, mm-hmm. it seems interconnection times are getting longer upgrade, upgrade times are getting longer. Are you seeing that kind of across the board where these utilities are, are really just kind of inundated with new applications and, and these you know, the time to go and make the upgrades necessary just keeps getting longer and longer. Well, without a doubt. I mean, the the entire industry has really taxed, the, the crypto industry has taxed the utility industry um, bigger than sort of even the, the oil and gas boom when, mm-hmm. you know, everyone was trying to get power out in West Texas. Um, and I don't know if it's a lack of resources. I know that these folks are working as hard as they possibly can, but yeah, I mean, even just to get a load study completed, something that used to take you two weeks to just determine what the available power looks like at a certain location is now, you know, um, three months, four months. And so it's really pushing everything back. And and of course now, and again, probably another topic for another time, but Texas has also created the, in uh, the name escapes me at the moment, but basically the large energy user task force to, Go in and, and address some of these issues, not on the utility side, but to address like what is this demand going to do to the grid? Um, and and you know, from that side, uh, how do you manage this going forward? But but to answer your original question, yes, we're seeing interconnection times push back. We're seeing, I will say we've seen a little bit of um bounce back in the actual availability of physical materials, so you know, transformers, um, sure. Those seem to be more available than than they were six nine months ago, and part of that is just there's less demand. Um, and so, you know, it's it's it is it's taxing the industry, which is the utility industry, which is then making it harder to complete other tasks and other jobs, and to even complete simple projects out in the market because there's so many resources that are putting being put towards, um, you know, not just the the load studies from a utility side, but um, the infrastructure, the construction, the sure. energizing of those meters, the ongoing management of that, uh, and so on. Well, I, I want to get more into the markets later, and it's it's pretty fascinating when you. I think 
in a lot of ways, the crypto mining kind of snuck up on everybody. Like you think about EVs and we've known, I think for a long time that there was going to be an increase in EV adoption and therefore more demand for electricity. It feels like the crypto demand though really kind of snuck up on everybody. So we'll get a little more into that later, but I want to talk more about what, what you all specifically do in this space. Um, you had talked about a portal that you guys have developed. Sure. Uh, tell our, our listeners and viewers a little bit about your portal and, and what it does. I, I thought this was, was pretty cool. Yeah, so I think if I can just backtrack a little bit and maybe talk about why yeah. the portal matters um, with some background is, you know, the the days of what I used to call sort of set it and forget it, meaning lock in a price and move on down the road have have come and gone. Um, and so what really is is the most important component of power procurement, and not just in the crypto space, but anywhere, is now what I would call demand side management, load management, and load curtailment. And so what what the so part of what's allowed us to, I think, be successful in this crypto space is that, you know, with our entities, we understand the forward-facing side of procuring that power, but through our QSE and our demand response business we really understand load curtailment as well. And so through that, uh, through the the procurement process and incorporating load curtailment really comes to arbitraging markets and um, the ability to curtail is the biggest component of that. And so what the portal has allowed us to do, and, and we actually built the portal seven, eight, nine years ago and, and have just continued to add on to it as, as we've gone, really building it out to meet the customer needs um, as they've arrived. And so what the portal allows us to do now, though, is we can track real-time prices. We can track the, and we, we're constantly tracking the price of Bitcoin, and we're tracking a number of other different components to determine um, whether or not that there should be a, a, a curtailment event, meaning have prices moved away from you to where it's now more expensive to create that that Bitcoin. Um, and, and if that's the case, then you should curtail. And so understanding that in real time, and then also having some predictive abilities as to where we believe those prices are headed, allow you to uh, to react quickly, and then allow you to avoid those high priced, uh, th- those high priced intervals or hours, if you will. Um, and so the portal really is the mechanism that, that, that runs and it's called the linkedupenergy.com portal. Um, if anybody's interested, feel free to reach out and I can give you a, uh, a demo, but, um, it's a, uh, it, it really is a, a full scale management tool that corresponds with the software that the miners have and works with them to price signal and, and curtail that, curtail that energy consumption when necessary. That's fascinating. I would love to see it. Um, and it's, it's really cool that, um, I mean, it sounds like you're really enabling uh, these folks to to make really good decisions. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, I don't know very much about crypto mining at all, but I think from I think it's relatively simple from the standpoint of you got to have a lot of computers. They got to be turned on mining and you got to have a low cost power. But obviously, um, the energy markets are not that simple. And so, so really, really cool. Um, maybe we might have to do another episode where you just walk us, walk us <laughs> through the portal. Cause I, I would love to see that. Um, so have you to. all, 
it sounded like, I think you, you kind of mentioned it earlier. Have you all gotten into the mining space? Have you like made that leap or are you still kind of just staying on the, the consulting and the power side of things? Yeah, we have. We've actually gotten into the mining side on, on our end. It's, it's, you know, it's a minimal amount compared to what a lot of others are doing, but we thought for us to truly understand the market, we needed to be fully integrated into it as well. So I think for us is, you know, we can do everything from identifying a site, um, modeling the modeling the tariffs, modeling the the TDU charges, procuring the power, managing the load curtailment, and then also having um, experience in the mining side too really allows us to, to and, and also too, look, we're tied into this like everyone else is. We're tied in like our partners that we manage power for we're tied into these markets as much as they are. And so um, I think, you know, that, it, it, and really just, we've got everyone's um, everyone's best goals in mind at all times. And so that really aligns us and allows us to see what, what they're trying to do as well. So I thought that was an important sort of final step to complete the, the not complete the process, but another important step in the process was understanding that that side of the business too, not just, the power procurement and what goes on on that side and, and the power management. Uh, sure. But really skin the, in the game, right? Yeah. But you know, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking earlier is that, you know, the, the ability and in, in, in utilities typically hold their information pretty close to the, to the best there. And so it's, I, I was thinking earlier, you know, the, um, the power identification business or available power identification business really reminds me of the landman business of, you know, 10, 15 years ago where you had folks going out and their job was to, to seek out available resources, you know, minerals. Um, and then they'd go and negotiate those leases and, and do all of that. And so, you know, we're seeing that almost as a little cottage industry now is people who have the ability to go out and find, um, find available power and then find land close to that substation and then negotiate the lease of the, of that land. And so the, the land component, I will say the surface land is not anywhere close to what you need for, you know, an oil and gas, um, sure. for, for an EMP business. Um, but the power is considerably more per square footage of land that's, that's required. So that's been a really, uh, really interesting thing to see is, is th this, the, these businesses that have popped up that are really, experts in identifying available power. Yeah, that's super interesting. And even on the smaller like commercial and industrial stuff we're working on, you know, we, as somebody brings us a good customer, we identify a good customer. You know, the, that's the first thing we do, especially out in the Northeast where interconnection, you know, studies and, and upgrades seem to just be getting longer and bigger. Uh, first thing we do is go and look at the availability of power because that can that can be a fatal flaw uh, pretty fast. And then all of a sudden, even if you could up make the upgrades, it's like, oh, it's a half a million dollars to make right. these upgrades. Right, and right. That kind of throws a you know curveball in your financial model. So, But you're shifting. looking at not just taking power from the grid, right? I mean, you're looking at availability to, to, to produce power and put power back right. to the grid as well, yeah. which is a whole different world. You know, I mean, uh, there's... The constraints that we're seeing from the demand side are also constraining the ability to put additional resources back onto the grid. Right. Because um, it's not always a one for one. It's not always, you know, you can't always put on what you can take. Um, sure. And so it's it's interesting to see what's going on in that space as well. Is that 
are we ultimately um, are we are we hurting our future prospects for additional power to the grid? Um, I have not seen or read enough on on the studies to say yes or no, but uh, it is it is interesting. Well, I know there's some interesting laws out there. I'm not I'm not don't even know enough to be dangerous, frankly, to name any specific laws. But I know there is a lot of consideration being given right now to the fact that perhaps like a solar developer, for example, shouldn't have to bear all of the cost of those interconnection upgrades because ultimately what you're doing should benefit Mm. the greater community, right? Bringing more power back onto the grid. So I know it might not be so good for the ratepayers, but I know that in some places anyways, they're really looking at, hey, are, are we hurting ourselves? Are we preventing good projects from from coming online by putting all the burden of those upgrade costs onto the one project, the one developer, instead of spreading that across the ratepayers? So really interesting, um, really interesting conversation. It'll be interesting to see what happens there because you know, you start getting into 10, 20, 30, 40 megawatt projects and um, and you're talking about some some serious upgrade fees, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars. So, so let's go let's go to the market a little bit. We've sure. touched on it. So crypto, EVs, whatever it may be, there's increased demand for electricity, right? Uh, talk about talk about what again, you you've already touched on it, but Talk about what that's doing to the market. Um, I know you yeah. and I, when we were kind of discussing this, you had, we were thinking back to, you mentioned it earlier, the, the 2020, the, the negative cost energy days, right? Those, yeah. I think those days are gone. Talk a little bit about that. Sure, they seem to be. And, and I know I'm sort of keeping it um, Texas centric, but that is you know traditionally where uh, we operate quite a bit and also where I would say, the the significant load uh, uh, the significant load is that we're you know that we're facilitating and so you know it's interesting we used to see negative prices quite often um, due to largely due to congestion constraints uh, was was part of the issue and not being able to get some of these uh, these renewable assets into call it the major metropolitan areas so. And, and I guess what I'm alluding to is think about, you know, solar and wind generation in West Texas. And it's, you know, if you're going, you know, by auto, it's it's five hours to get to Dallas from or four and a half hours to get from Odessa or Midland to to Dallas. And then, you know, from and so imagine having to move power across that same that same uh, amount of, uh, of of mileage there. And so when you think about the the markets, what we've started to see is that these folks that are, you know, you, you used to not have this sort of 24 by 7 load profile that we're seeing um, really in the last two years and specifically with a lot of the crypto taking, you know, operating with, you know, the, if you think about the crypto space, they don't need many employees. I mean, they can, it could be a a hundred megawatt demand facility and they maybe have five people that they need to work there. Right. So they're operating 24 hours a day, seven days a week uh, outside of, of course, load curtailment times. And so what we're seeing is, you know, we're not, we're not seeing the low lows that we once saw because that demand is there to suck up that available power. So what we're essentially seeing is the average or the, the non-weighted price of power 
has really started to move up considerably because there's there's not that low low anymore because there's so much demand um to to take that power from the grid these days and yeah, so it's really too. yes and, and it's shifting the demand curve too um because there's just not that opportunity to to really take that low priced power from call it 8 p.m till 8 a.m like we used to see yeah does that make the need or necessity for storage that much more important you know, I, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of still. For me, the jury's still out on storage. Obviously, it's important, um, especially as you have sort of that, you know, the call it the sunrise sunset issues that we have, where winds coming off and and solar's not on, or solar's coming off and winds not not showing up yet. And so, you know, I think storage is important. The problem with storage for me is just it's such a limited capacity. You know, we talk about. Um, February of 2021, which is a whole other issue that, you know, we could get into since we spoke last, but, you know, everyone's like, oh, if we would have had storage, we, we, we would, we would have been fine. It's well, we would have been, we, we would have maybe had another two or four hours of available power um, that we could have accessed, you know, it, it just, to me, the, the dollar amounts for, for battery are still prohibitive to what they're able to provide and the ability to to give you long-term long-lasting power if you need to fulfill an hour too sure absolutely that's great um but i will say batteries are another thing that are going to shift the the demand curve because they're going to be looking to charge at night and where a lot of people have modeled these batteries where they're saying you know well we're going to get two cent power one cent power or free power in the evenings and we can charge all night for free and then deploy and arbitrage into these markets well you're not charging for free anymore. You know, you're you're paying a, a certainly not a premium, but you're most likely paying higher than what you thought you were going to pay, call it nine months, 15, 18 months ago. Yeah, super interesting. And I think uh we actually just had an episode, we just touched on hydrogen storage. We need to do a whole other episode on hydrogen storage, but um I, I tend to agree with you. You know, we look at a lot of battery. Uh, opportunity. I mean, we, we try to size batteries mm-hmm. in every project that we can, and and pretty quickly we can figure out whether there's a chance or, or not that the the model will work right. Um, and people and have how many really really big demand charges? Yeah, uh, basically none. Right. Um, <laughs> and, I mean, it it just takes such a unique kind of situation to really make it work. But then, like you just said. Well, now all of a sudden there's 50 new crypto mining facilities and, and the way you modeled that and the reason it worked, you know, it's has changed. And so right. um, it, it really is. It really does take, in, in my opinion, you know, a group like yours, a, a group who can think a little bit bigger picture um, and kind of see the market from a higher level to really figure out where it makes sense to deploy uh, these types of technologies. So. So we talked a little bit about the the, the taxing, the, the issues this is creating for utilities infrastructure um, and how the utilities are keeping up, which I think it's the answer is not all that well. Um, but let's kind of shift in to pricing, which we, we really kind of touched on at the top of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's going to happen to pricing in the next decade? Because 
we have, like I mentioned earlier, all these folks are coming back. Hey, knocking on the door. Hey, our, our costs have gone up 50%. We want to do solar now. We, you know, whatever it is. Um, our, our price is just going to keep going up. I, I know that's, you'd probably, you don't have a crystal ball, but are, are we just going to keep seeing increased pricing for the next decade? H- how do you see this shaking out? You know, I I don't know about the next decade per se, but I think what we're seeing is a number of different things. One is natural gas prices are, you know, as we mentioned before, very, very high. I don't necessarily, I mean, look, I think they're probably a little bit higher than what they can sustain. But what's really driving that too is, you know, we're partially driving that is we're exporting a ton of LNG right now. And that number is only going to grow. If we don't begin to bring on some more production, um, I think we're going to see some real issues in the availability of natural gas. And, and when I say issues, I think we're talking, you know, uh, 24, 25, 2026, something like that. Because um, these LNG facilities do take quite some time to actually get online. Um, and so I think that that's one of the big concerns right now is we're not seeing um we're seeing extremely high prices, but not necessarily seeing additional drilling capacity coming online. And so, um, and that's, there's a myriad of reasons as to why. Um, but as far as prices go, I mean, I, you know, it's hard to say that if, if we're, I mean, if you look at the ERCOT interconnect, you know, the, I think the, the, the peak demand for the next five years is projected somewhere around 80 or 85 uh, gigs. Now, that being said, we almost hit 80 last month. So, um, and, you know, that's, <laughs> that, I, I don't see that growth slowing. Um, but, you know, that being said, it, it, if you look at the interconnect, the amount of, of, of power that's looking to come online is, you know, in the interconnect alone is like 100, 100 gigs. Um, and so that would exceed demand, you know, by quite a bit. And so I think when you, um, when you think about, I think we're still going to see a bumpy ride for the next three, four five years. And I think, I think what you're really going to see too, is um, I don't know if it's high prices so much as we're going to continue to see a ton of volatility. Um, And I don't know what's worse um, because volatility can certainly lead to high prices because you have a lot more risk that you have to account for, account for within that. So I think I, I would say, and sorry, I know I'm, I'm not giving you a direct answer here, but um, no, this is know, great. I think we've got a few more years, again, four five, six years of increased prices or, or higher prices than what we were used to maybe for the last four or five years. Um, but eventually the, eventually the load should outpace demand considerably. Um, but where we're seeing really some of this, a lot of the volatility is more so in like in, in the ancillary service markets um, and, you know, certainly in, in the real-time markets, uh, your forward prices are, are, are just fluctuating as, as they do based on, you know, a number of different factors, but yeah, volatility, I think is something that'll be around for a while. So talk about how on your, kind of, as you put it earlier, your day-to-day business, your, your forward-facing business, CSD mm-hmm. Energy Advisors, how are you guiding your customers through this? Like we have record high prices, maybe they've come down a little bit, a lot of volatility, as you stated. Mm-hmm. 
how do you guide your customers here in this market and, and help them make the right decision? Yeah, and, and that's tough. I mean, I think first and foremost is we have to manage expectations and let people know that, look, the, the world you've been living in is, is, doesn't really exist any longer. And so trying to, to let them know, here's what you need to be prepared for moving forward. Um, but really it comes down to strategy and risk and, you know, are, are you willing to, are you willing to, to risk, um, an index price for, you know, potentially an overall, uh, lower price at the end of the year, end of the year than what you could lock in today. And so that's one of the things we're dealing with, especially throughout the summertime is, um, you know, prices have been volatile, they've been high, but, we still think at the end of the year that the average price on on an index product is going to be considerably lower than than what you would see um, if you were to go and, and take a fixed position. And so, you know, we've got a number of different products, and I will say we've got great supplier partners that we work with on developing those products. And then I think for us is having a number of large end users, whether it be commercial and industrial, uh, retail manufacturing, we, we sort of get to see different strategies in the marketplace and really can combine some of those strategies into, you know, helping our clients come up with or, or formulate something that is, is going to limit risk, but also give them some potential to, to save some money. But it is, it's, it's tough for our clients and that, you know, we're looking at prices that are in some instances, you know, three, four, five X what they'd been paying previously. And that's, that's a, a big hit to the bottom line of a business. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, <clears throat> I just seem to hear it all over the place, not just in work. Um, I was in Maine this summer visiting my wife's family. There's a little brewery kind of at the top of the road there. And mm -hmm. I said, how's business going? You know, talk to him every summer and Said, well, you know, it was COVID. Now it's energy. My he <laughs> said, the, the the cost to make my beer has gone up. You know, basically fifty percent. And right. you know, trying to balance how do I operate my business and still, you know, still he's kind of like I thought I was out of survival mode, and right. now all of a sudden people are drinking beer again, but cost has gone up fifty percent. Are they going to pay yeah. that? And, you know, so it's just a you just kind of hear it everywhere. So I want to throw another one at you. By the way, did people stop drinking beer during COVID? Cause I know I didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I guess maybe they stopped, they stopped going to the brewery itself, I guess would be. Yeah. I think they stopped going to the bars and maybe having like 20 beers instead of you know, <laughs> going with like a 30 rack of Coors at home or something. Like <laughs> maybe it hurt the craft breweries worse. Like right, everything right. else, you know, the, the sure. big guys made out like bandits. Um, <laughs> I have one more I want to throw at you. We, yeah. You talked about earlier the cost of gas and we're exporting a lot of LNG, presumably. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming most of that's going to Europe. Uh, yes. Is that is that safe to assume? Okay. And so obviously um, it wouldn't be, well, back in 2020, it wouldn't have been a podcast without talking about COVID. Wouldn't be a podcast in 2022 without talking about the war in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So in everything we're seeing geopolitically over there right now and now Russia, you know, shutting down what is it, the Nord pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, do you see a, a, a big, a big problem coming this winter for Europe? 
Uh, without a doubt, yes. And that will, you know, it's, I, I was in a meeting yesterday and uh, we we're having this very same, very similar conversation. The guy said, you know, Russia has basically weaponized natural gas to the extent that they are using it to torment anybody who, you know, wants to, well, I don't even want to get into the political side, but yes, they have weaponized natural gas to the extent that they are wreaking havoc across Europe. Yeah. Um, I think it was yesterday we saw the, you know, what would be the equivalent of, you know, for a while, and, and also too, Asia is a contributing factor in the LNG markets as well. They're, they're a, a large consumer, nothing like what Europe is right now, but, you know, Europe's prices are 10 to 20 times what we're paying right now. Um, and so the, look, I mean, at the end of the day, these guys these LNG facilities are, you know, they're spending billions of dollars to get these things up and running. And so there's a considerable, considerable amount of profit taking going on by shipping to, to Europe. But yes, I mean, the look, you can look at the, just even US-based storage is tracking well below the five-year average, which is concerning. Part of that has been a, has been due to a much warmer than expected summer, or maybe not even expected, but record highs and many different parts of the country. Um, and so there's been a considerable amount of natural gas used to, to generate power. Um, but yes, I, I do think Europe is going to be uh, in a tough spot this winter. Um, just Can we just, bail them out of that? Like, do we have enough resources here to export them to get them through a winter? It, it feels like the answer would be no, considering, you know, we need some of it domestically too, right? Sure. And yeah, you're right. The answer is no. And part of that is due to they've had record heat as well. So they've been consuming everything that they can get. And then, um, you know, they're, we're currently maxed out on our LNG capacity there. We don't have the ability to, I mean, I, I shouldn't say maxed out 100%, but it's not like we can all of a sudden say, well, we'll just triple what we're sending over. We We don't have the ability to 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 compress or to ship that much uh any more than what we're currently doing yeah that's amazing it's it it's kind of scary definitely scary also seems like an opportunity um for american companies who are exporting this stuff to go get more projects online and i think then you you can't have that conversation without sort of getting into the politics of well are they being incentivized to do that or not or um, and, and we don't we don't have to go there, but it'll be very interesting to monitor in the next three, four, five, six months that mm-hmm. situation and um, and what happens. Andrew, this has been so interesting. You're I, I always really enjoy chatting with you and love hearing about what you you guys are up to over at CSD. Big kudos to you for uh, kind of leaning into these new markets and and taking opportunities uh, as they come. So. I love this conversation. I hope you'll be a three-peat guest on the podcast. We'd love to have you back again. Maybe we'll do a winter episode and uh, and reevaluate uh, LNG exports and, and everything like that. So as sure. we wrap up here, tell our listeners and viewers how they can find you online, get in touch, follow sure. your tweets, uh, whatever. Are you a, a tweeter or a LinkedIn guy? How can we find you online? Sure, I'm 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 definitely on LinkedIn, um, and then you can find us at csdenergy.com, or you can email me at asb at csdenergy.com. 
um, or call David and he can give you my phone number. But uh, yeah, certainly appreciate coming on and look forward to doing it again. What we should do is revisit in a year and see how bad all my predictions were. Um, <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm sure they'll all be spot on. Right, right. Uh, that sounds like <laughs> but, uh, a great plan. We'll definitely Thanks for it. the opportunity. And we appreciate our relationship with you guys and appreciate the opportunity to come join you. Likewise. Absolutely. So thank you to all of our listeners and viewers who tune in to the podcast. This has been another episode of Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart, Senior Vice President of Sales at Biostar Renewables. Andrew Barth, thank you so much, man. My pleasure. Thank you, David. All right. Talk to you soon. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. 